Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to the Vine and Branches podcast. My name is Allie O'Neill, and today we're going to cover PTSD. Now, the reason I'm doing this topic is because it has been highly sought after, but I am not going to be diving deep into what PTSD is. This is not what this podcast is about. However, I will be highlighting quickly what PTSD is and is not. So the fact and fiction behind this disorder. And then I want to talk most importantly about coping skills. And then we're going to talk about forgiveness. So I think that this is a really good topic to expand upon due to the fiction or the misassociations that have been put with PTSD. So PTSD is actually commonly associated with combat veterans. And so for most of you, that is what you have associated it with. And even for some people, they thought that these were the only people who could get PTSD. So for me, when I, being a military veteran, I, when I served in the military in my earlier years, I honestly believed that you couldn't have PTSD unless you served downrange um, and in some sort of combat environment, because this is what I was being told by other people. And I didn't take the time to do the research for myself. So When there would be other soldiers around me, you know, that either I was associated with or I knew that would claim to have PTSD, other people would be making fun of them saying that they never spent time overseas, so there's no way that they could have it. I want to tell you that that is fiction. And this is something that we need to realize is fiction because post-traumatic stress disorder is associated with anyone who has a traumatic experience. So if someone perceives something as traumatic, they very well may have a post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, although it is associated with combat veterans, around 50% of PTSD cases in the U.S. are going to develop in the aftermath of sexual or physical violence. So although we're associating it with one thing, it's really common with physical and emotional abuse. So being sexually assaulted or abused is such an invasion of our body, our personal space, and our safety. And I think those three things are what we need to keep in mind. Body, personal space, and safety. No matter what the traumatic event was, We are feeling that it is an invasion of our body, our personal space, and or our safety. So, actually, some psychotherapists have come up with the explanation that PTSD is more common among survivors who have felt that their lives were actually in danger during an assault. Because the brain is not going to actually perform well for a victim when they're during Uh, when they're in the middle of an assault, okay? So some people say that fight or flight should be kicking in. And this is a response that they should be having when an assault occurs. But unfortunately, most victims are actually overpowered and they can't do either. And this may instead dissociate themselves from the act that is actually going on and their mind's going to escape the body until the assault is actually over. 
Now, some of you are probably like, wow, that seems a little far-fetched. But for some people, this is true. This is why I think that there's a strong link between disassociation and PTSD due to the facts that I just, you know, I just shared with you. So PTSD does end up affecting daily life. And this is why I want to talk about coping skills, coping mechanisms, because for someone who has dealt with PTSD, there is life, there's a life changing nature of this trauma. So for some people, they're reliving the event over and over and over again in their head. Now, what I mean by this is uh, what some people call flashbacks. And I want to, instead of use the word flashbacks, use invasive memories. Because um, it could be the time that was leading up to to the assault or the event. It could be the time after. It could be a sequence of events. It's constantly stuff that is replaying in someone's mind over and over and over again on a cycle. And that can be extremely debilitating for someone. So some people go through an after phase, which has negative emotions that are associated with it. And some people are actually going to call that depression, anger, guilt, shame, um, distrust. And this may actually affect their loved ones and their friends. So it can affect dating. It can affect marriages, it can affect the friendships. If it's a relationship, PTSD can affect it. So how do you deal with PTSD in your relationships? Well, I wish I could tell you that there's a blanket statement or a one fix all method, but there is not because depending on what traumatic event that you dealt with, may take different methods of treatment. So I do want to tell you that the most important thing is to be able to associate who is a threat and who is not. So for someone who has PTSD, they're looking and they're waiting for their possible threats. And sometimes they just have that hypervigilance and they have that association that anyone could be a possible threat to them. They feel vulnerable and they feel like they need to be on guard. So for someone who could be a possible threat, this is a good approach to take. However, for someone who may be our support system, seeing them as a possible threat could be damaging to the relationship. So the first thing that we can do is we want to locate our support system. Unfortunately, for many people who suffer from PTSD, they end up taking out a lot of their negative emotions on the people who are trying to support and be there for them. And this makes them being a support system for that person very difficult because some people end up Um, giving up or getting frustrated. And although this is not the proper way to deal with it, they get just as frustrated and don't want to be treated like they were the aggressor. So um, one thing that you can do is take a, make a list. Now for some people, they have very large support systems and for some, their support groups are small. So for me, if I'm thinking about my support group, I would put, let's say, 
one to, you can do one to three or one to five because that's just a good place to start. Now I would, I would suggest one to three, (laughs) even though I'm going back and forth, just do one to three. So I would maybe say, okay, my spouse is a good form of support. Um, my best friend. And then, um, I would pick someone from my church that I talk to on a regular basis. Now, what makes a good support system? I think people who are regularly in your life, you see them daily, weekly, um, they're active in your life, they're good mentors, they are um, positive for you, they're there for you in the good times and the bad. These are people who do not give up on you when times get tough, but instead they're pouring into those interpersonal relationships that you're trying to develop. These are good, strong friendships or on the path to good, strong friendships. So think of those three to five people, or it could be a group even. So maybe a good support system for some people um, if you serve in the church. So for me, a great support system is the worship team that I serve on. I love the people that I serve with there. I have cried on some of their shoulders with stuff that's gone on with my father. And it's just been a great place for me to connect even on a spiritual level. So that is a good support system for me. So think of those, like I said, think of those one to five people, however you want to choose. Some people may be it easily, you know, it's easier. Now, some of you may be in a situation where you can't, you struggle with coming up with one. And this is when I'm going to get spiritual on you and I'm going to get religious because I try to do this from a biblical perspective. I'm going to say lean on God because this is the one person who will always be there for you. And that is your ultimate support system. So if this means um, sending it up to prayer, um, doing specific devotions, whatever works for you on a spiritual or religious level. So you have your list, you have your one to three your one to five or your one. And now you need to figure out how to open up a good line of communication with at least one of these people, because it's going to be difficult to open up about your experience to everyone. And of course you have to do what is comfortable for you, but I think people who are working with you as your support system are really going to need to understand what you have been through or at least get a background of it so they kind of know what they're dealing with. Because we have these unset expectations for other people to perform in a certain way. And then when they don't do it, we get mad at them. But it's unspoken expectations. We haven't verbalized this to someone So how can we get mad at them when they don't even know? My husband likes to say he's not a mind reader. So if I need something or I want something, I need to tell him. And that's, it's very true. It's the same for our support system. We can't expect someone to be empathetic about said event in our life when we haven't shared it. We can't expect someone to not touch us in a certain way or not say a certain thing if we don't verbalize what we need. So... My first thing is make a list of support systems. And my second 
coping mechanism that I want you to take is to set expectations verbally. Communicate these expectations. So the ones that you already have in your head for these other people, communicate it. So I'll give you a second to jot those down. I'll say it again if you guys are note takers, like I know some of my listeners are. The first thing is identify your support system. And the second one is going to be to communicate your needs or, you know, expectations, however you want to however is a better way for you to memorize that. So what does this look like? I will just give an example. So um, I think a, a common one is, you know, in marriage or in a relationship, we, we want someone for, okay, so for me, I like to have that quality time with my husband when he gets off of work. But sometimes what he wants to do is he just wants to unwind and sit on the couch and I get that. But I, sometimes I'll find myself getting upset with him because he's just sitting on the couch and not having, you know, conversation with me or watching a show with me or anything like that. And I don't even tell him. I just get mad at him. That is a poor way to communicate our expectations, okay? Don't do what I do, but do what I try to do. Instead, communicate, hey, you know, when you come home from work, it would be really nice if we could have dinner together so I can get quality time or let's watch a television show. So whatever it is that you need in this case, let the person know who is trying to support you. So... We end up we end up putting those expectations forth. And then I want you to write down for number three, identify your possible threats. Now what I mean by this is think of it like um Think of it like this. You have possible threats that are in your life. So whether this is a person who has hurt you in the past or this is an experience that you know will trigger an emotion, try to stay away from that. So in some therapy sessions, what we do is we go through triggers and on a worksheet, I will have the client write down, okay, so what are some of the things that trigger um, your anxiety or trigger your drinking or your drug abuse, whatever it is, write them down. Because some people don't even realize what it is that trigger them, so they don't have a good way of dealing with it. So if a list is a good way for you to write things down or pros and cons, do one side, idea or support, and on your other side, you can do idea or possible threats. Whether these are people, if these are things... Um, events, whatever it is. Because then if we can identify between what our support is and what our possible threats are, we won't be treating everything like it's a possible threat because it's so easy to do when you're that vulnerable and you're that on guard. So 
um, like I said, it may just be care be easier to get a sheet of paper and on one side put my support and on the other side my possible threats. This is not anything that you need to show anyone else. This is just good for you um, as you are coping because you are able to associate the difference between the two. Because when you're going through all the emotions and uh, the entire thought process that your brain's having to go through when you're dealing with this post-traumatic stress disorder, sometimes this isn't something that you have time to think about. So it's good to just have something written down for you or typed up, whatever is easier. So um, so these are some good ways, but there are other things that we can do uh, to help kind of cope with it. And this is really different for everyone. So I'm just going to give some of the things that I would give some of my clients. So meditation, um, and when I'm talking about meditation, I'm talking about mindfulness meditation. So I will give you a second to write that down. If you're a note taker, mindfulness meditation. Now, this can come in many different ways, but it's actually a relaxation technique that's going to be shown to help manage this disorder. Now, meditation is different for many people. It is not necessarily getting into a like Buddha state of mind, if that makes sense. Um, but there's actually mindfulness-based cognitive therapy that is used Um and it's a very similar structure to meditation, but it's designed to target your depressive moods and your negative thoughts more specifically. Um, there's also mindfulness-based stress reduction, exposure therapy, and different types of relaxation. The ones that you can do at home is the meditation relaxation. So find something that relaxes you. Um, for some people, there's something uh, like if you go to church, meditative prayer. And this is time, I did this when I went to the Vineyard Church and it was very helpful for me because I think it's really hard to sit down sometimes and just devote yourself completely to God with no other distractions. So we would all get into one room and uh, a little prompt would play that would have dings and at the third ding you were to have a word in mind um, that you wanted to focus on and take to God or you had a prayer that you wanted to give to God and you just spent that time talking to him now we started off at five minutes and we worked all the way up to 30 over a course of um, a couple weeks and it's difficult to do that and sit there because you'll see how many times your mind wanders away from talking to God to other things. I even do it at nighttime when I'm trying to say my prayers. You know, I'm trying to have a conversation with God and I'm thinking about the 50 bajillion things that I've got to do the next day. So meditative prayer is extremely helpful. It is where you're trying to stay centered and get the point across to God without filling your mind with all of these other difficult things that you are constantly having replaying in your mind all the time. As for the stress reduction and the cognitive therapy, this is something that you can find with a behavioral base, uh, a behavioral therapist. 
um, a cognitive therapist, or if you just go to therapy and you tell them that you're thinking about stress reduction therapy, they can help you. So the next thing is going to be regaining your focus through physical activity. So you can write physical activity down. For some people, this is helpful. Um, They can take their, especially people who have a lot of aggression towards the trauma that they've gone through, um, physical-based therapy is good. So I know that for many men going and doing boxing or... um, different martial arts, even swinging a baseball bat has been great physical therapy for some people. Um, For a lot of men and women alike, running has been a great therapy because it is time that they turn on their music and they just run it out. So physical activity is great. Uh, For some people, aromatherapy is helpful. Um, I won't get into that one too much. I will just say essential oils. Um, some people believe in it. Some do not. Um, next one is art therapy. This is something that you can talk with your therapist about if you have a therapist. Um, because this is a really great way for individuals to actually externalize their emotions and then learn to cope with distressing their memories through art. So actually what some, what some psychotherapists have noticed is that when they ask a client or patient to write down, uh, well, to draw a picture of what they're feeling or, or use certain colors, the person actually starts to understand a little bit more about what they're feeling in their head and they're able to break things down a little bit more. Now, this is especially helpful for people who are very, have creative and artistic personalities. So if you haven't done a personality test, um, that would be really nice to know if art therapy is good for you. Um, Also, there is a program called Pets for PTSD. Now, a number of studies have actually been shown that adopting a trained animal is going to have a positive impact, at least in the short term, by helping people manage these PTSD-related depression and anxiety. And it can even help with nightmares. So for spending as little as one week with a specifically trained or improved Uh, or trained dog can improve PTSD symptoms by actually 82%. That is huge. This is big um, for a lot of veterans. So if you're a veteran dealing with PTSD, I highly, highly recommend um, the Pets for PTSD. Now, some people actually have a Pets for PTSD program. Um, Some people just go through the process of getting an animal that can be there for them and kind of be a therapy dog almost. So um, you can write down Pets for PTSD. If you want a little bit more information on that, um, if you do have a, you know, a mental health office that you're going to ask them about pets for PTSD. Um, look, look into the studies and the statistics that have been done on this and then decide if this is something that is good for you. But some people have a hard time in actually trusting human beings, but they're able to trust a dog. Okay. So this is something that is helpful. 
So these are just some of the coping mechanisms that we came up with. I gave you about eight. So the first one was ID your support system so you know who is there for you. The second is communicate your unexpected needs and expectations uh, to your support system. Your third is then ID your possible threats. For your fourth one, we want that mindfulness meditation, um, whether that's done through cognitive behavioral therapy or something that you're doing through meditative prayer. Uh, The fifth is physical activity, getting out some of that aggression. Um, Six is aromatherapy, if the senses help you. And just to expand upon that a little bit more, um, your... Your senses are really a great thing to be in touch with because what we smell really does affect our mind. And I won't get too deep into the psychological science of it, but aromatherapy can be great. Actually, for me, you know, sometimes just to sleep, I put some lavender and chamomile in that diffuser. And it's not like it knocks me out right away, but it definitely helps me to relax. Um, The seventh is art therapy. So getting a better understanding of what's going on through creating a bit of art. And then eight is pets for PTSD or just finding a furry companion. So some of these you may have heard of before. Some of them might be helpful. Some may not be. But I am not here to give you, you know, an answer as to how to completely you know, cure your PTSD or take care of it. These are only some good coping mechanisms that I can give to you. This is something that you really should be working with a therapist on or a psychiatrist. Now, while we are on here, I do want to highlight that if any of you are dealing with any traumatic events and you have not reached out for help, please remember that the National Sex Assault hotline it's 800-656-HOPE and hope is 4673 you can call the national sexual assault hotline and it'll give you an access to a range of free services including um safe and confidential information sharing so this is specifically for sexual assault um this can be uh remember for your child there is a specific child hotline but this is something that is really good to seek help for because then you can find maybe some different coping mechanisms that i have not mentioned because there are many more out there so now i want to jump into forgiveness for a second before we end this. Now, I think that this is such a big factor in being able to transition to your next stage of life or just into quote unquote normal life because normal is perceived differently by many people. But I want to be careful here because the trauma that we deal with in our, you know, from certain events can really end up painting a picture of what's going to happen going forward. And I think that we need to be careful as to whether we want to 
we want to highlight those brighter colors or those darker colors in our lives. And here's what I mean by that. I think that forgiveness is always hard. That is the first thing. Forgiveness is hard. And if you want to take that and write that down on a notebook, go for it. Because although we know it, we need to remember it. There's not a five-step process or, you know, it's going to work like this or that with each person. Forgiveness is different for everyone that we deal with. But it also depends on what, where we get our definition of forgiveness. And for me, I have to remember that God forgives me all the time. And... Sometimes I I sit down in prayer to God and I'm like, you know, I don't even know if I should be forgiven for this, but I know that you grant forgiveness. And when you sit and let the weight of that fall off of your shoulders, you almost feel like, or you do feel like a new person. You just let that forgiveness wash over you. Um, For some people, it's standing in worship on a Sunday morning and having, after having a really, really rough week and some lyrics of a song just kind of hit you and you're like, wow, I am forgiven. And I think when forgiveness is imparted on another person, it makes that person feel really good. And it also feels, lets us feel really good for once. But getting there is hard. So the first thing is forgiveness is hard. And that's something that we need to remember. Two, we need to remember that we're going to have to take steps to forgiveness. Now, if any of you have seen What About Bob? Baby Steps. Um, If you haven't seen What About Bob? I don't know if you should be listening to my podcast. (laughs) Because I'm a huge What About Bob fan. And I think that... um, it's an it's an amazing movie. Maybe you should add that to your coping mechanisms because uh, it will definitely bring some laughter and light into your life. But um, taking steps, take baby steps, okay? Don't think that you have to jump all in to forgive someone. But the first thing that you need to do is be declarative. You need to actually declare that you are willing to forgive this person. Because if you're not actually genuinely ready to forgive someone, you're not going to be able to go through the process of doing it. And I hope that that makes sense. You need to declare that you're going to forgive someone. You can't say that you forgive someone and then go back on it and start it all over again because it's not easy on the relationship or lack thereof of relationship that you have with this person that you're trying to forgive. Um, I think that probably the hardest part with all of it is actually having to live with the trauma and the side effects that come with the PTSD. And a lot of it comes from Worrying about those possible threats, worrying about that happening to you again. You're living in a constant state of fear. So the best way to forget, get over that fear and the trauma from that event and the effects of the PTSD is to genuinely and honestly forgive that person for what they've done. 
Forgiving does not mean that you need to be friends with someone. It doesn't mean that you need to be buddy-buddy. It doesn't mean that you need to stay in contact. It just means that you need to let the weight of the trauma fall off of your shoulders. For some people, it takes years. Uh, I was reading an article a long time ago about a uh, mother who lost her three-year-old son. And someone, this man, killed her three-year-old son. I can only imagine what that would feel like. And for years, she had anger and frustration with the person who murdered her son. But one day, she decided, she declared that she was going to forgive him. And she went to the prison, and she saw him, and they had a discussion. And they weren't friends afterwards. Um, And of course, they didn't get deep into the story of what actually happened afterwards. But she described it as a piece rolling over her like clouds moving away from a storm and the sun coming out. That sort of feeling, that good feeling, was something that she was able to hold on to going forward. The the trauma was still there. The event still may have played in her mind, but it probably wasn't as overshadowing as it was before. Because then she was able to clearly identify who her threat was. Who her possible threats are. And she was able to identify her support systems. So. I I would just say. Forgiveness is hard. And you're going to have to take baby steps to get there. You've got to declare that you want to forgive someone. And I know this sounds really repetitive, but you have to identify your support and identify your possible threats. And then when your possible threats become a threat, forgive them. It'll take time, but work through that. Work through whatever it takes for you to forgive someone else. Um, For me, I I will come out and say this. Um, When I was younger, I went through an experience that was pretty hard on me. In a way that I, I felt like my body and my personal space and, and my life was being threatened. And although it didn't replay over and over and over again in my mind every day for the rest of my life, it was something that I always thought about and it hindered the relationships that I had going forward. And I kind of always, it's like I had it out for that person who wronged me. I was like, you know what? This person is just terrible. Like, I don't care what happens to them. I'm going to be mad at them forever. And people shouldn't be like that. And I was on on a vengeance streak. I was waiting. I was waiting for the next person to hurt me because I had that expectation, that unspoken expectation for everyone that I met in my life that they were going to hurt me. And that no matter how close we got, 
they would turn on me. It's like I was constantly looking for something bad to happen. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't, but that wasn't the point. The fact was that I did not forgive that person. And I didn't forgive them until they died. Which I, which I do wish was a lesson that I would have learned before they passed away. And I wish that it was something that I could have declared to myself then. And I could have then declared to them, like, I forgive you. We're going to address the elephant in the room. And we're going to get through this. Because I have never experienced such freedom as I had since that day that I forgave the person who who wronged me. It took a long, I think it took like a, like 12 years. Yeah, about 10 or about 10 or 12 years, somewhere around there for me to get to the point of actually being able to forgive them. But I did it. And, um, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, I'm still wary of some people and, you know, I still worry about what someone's going to do or say or, and it doesn't mean that I trust people more, but I do try to give people that, um, we're all broken. We're all, we're all fallen and we all suck (laughs) mantra. Um, we all make mistakes and, the thing is, I, I spoke at a prison and the one thing that I was preaching on and I really meant is in the eyes of God, a murderer's sin is no worse than my sin. A murderer's sin is no worse than your sin. A rapist's sin is no worse than the person who cheated on a test. Sin is sin. That's a blanket. That's a blanket term. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter what it is. If you've sinned, you've sinned. And I think that we try to compartmentalize what people do and say, well, this person's a murderer and that's way worse than cheating on a test. Or this person's a sex offender and that is way worse than um, stealing something from a store. Or, well, so-and-so did this and I only did that. It's not the way that it works. So I think in forgiveness, it's helpful to sometimes think, okay, well, this person wronged me and this is how they wronged me, but what have I done? Because sometimes we put so much focus on the wrongs that the other person is doing that we're not thinking about all the wrongs that we're committing every day after what happened to us. So just some food for thought. Um, This is a much longer episode than I typically do. I, I usually try to keep around, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. But um, I feel like this this one speaks to some people. And and I've seen that from, from what some of you have said. And I really appreciate y'all who are, who are reaching out. And I know that it takes an act of bravery and courage. And you're extremely strong for coming out and and speaking up about what you've gone through. I also highly appreciate that you're trusting in me. I am not sharing any of this information um, on social media or anything. Please remember that any messages or phone calls or, or, or letters, anything that I get, they are not being shared with, with the general public. 
Um, now my husband and I, I do tell my husband everything. So, uh, I, I will not share names, but I do tell him, you know, some of the messages and phone calls and stuff that I get. So that way we can pray. So we are also praying for y'all and, um, we will be here for support for you as much as we can. And I, I just, with this one, it's different for many people because their traumatic experiences, they vary. And what you can do to cope from one situation is much different than what you can do to cope for another. So I do apologize if I was unable to give you something solid that you can hold on to to cope with this, but maybe these will be good stepping stones into the direction of therapy or a good support system or support group that you can find. Um, Please feel free to reach out to me if you are looking for any additional information, whether that be looking for specific support groups. Um, I also, I do work for Crisis Tax Line um, and... This is a really good tool for some people who are just trying to get some thoughts off of their mind um, and to work through some more coping mechanisms and some steps in the positive direction. And we can also get you connected with some good resources. Uh, We understand that therapy is expensive and sometimes people need free resources because they cannot afford these therapeutic, um, uh, some of the therapeutic methods. So, Crisis Text Line is there for you. Um, and if you're interested in them at all, please just go on to Google and put in Crisis Text Line. You'll find all the information that you need. I am so sorry I am hitting like bedtime for me because I usually don't do evening podcasts. <laughs> but um, having a little two year old run around and working and being in school tuckers me out. So. I really appreciate you guys for listening today. Um, it was, it's always a joy for me to share the, uh, the little bit of knowledge that I do have and a little bit of wisdom that I, that I have obtained over the years. And I look forward to our next podcast, which will hopefully be more sooner than later. We've just had a lot of things going on in our lives. So have a blessed day.